We started talking a couple weeks ago, uh, started going, getting into this new series on missions, uh, talking about a successful missions program and what missions is all about. <clears throat> missions is, I believe, the heartbeat of God. And if it's the heartbeat of God, it should be something incredibly important to us. I believe that uh, as, we, as we've started looking at it in this series and as we're going to really start doing today in the next two weeks, I think when it comes to missions as the church, <clears throat> we've always seen it in one certain way. Missions has always been the foreign field, and that's important. We support missionaries, and we're going to continue to support missionaries. But I don't want to get too far ahead into the sermon yet, but I think it's important, especially in the area that we live, that we start to understand that missions isn't just about sending people overseas. Missions is about reaching people here at home. Our text for this series has been 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. If you'd stand with me as we read God's word this morning. <clears throat> Beginning of verse 17, we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. You may be seated. <clears throat> it's a powerful verse when you, when you start thinking about the important task that has been laid on us as followers of Christ. It is our responsibility to share the love of Jesus Christ with others. Reconciliation just simply means to bring people back to, bring someone back to something. We know that because of our sin, we've been separated from God. So God's desire is that we be reconciled back to himself. That's why Jesus was born. That's why he lived. That's why he died on the cross. So that he could provide the means of reconciliation for humanity back to himself. And our responsibility as followers of Christ is not just to talk about it, not just to meet in church once a week, but it's to live our lives in such a way that people see a difference that people see what Jesus can do for them. We all have favorite brands of something, right? We have, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I wear uh, Nike Air Pegasus shoes, and I have probably eight or ten pairs of them. I have a lot of them because I've had um, several orthopedic surgeries, and they were designed for people with orthopedic injuries. Anytime somebody has a knee problem, guess what I tell them? You need to wear good shoes. They sound like an old man. You need to wear good shoes. Wear good shoes. Do the roar. You need to wear good shoes. And you need to wear Nike or Pegasus because they are the best. We all have that kind of attitude about something in our lives. We all have something that we think is the best makes a difference for us. So we believe it can make difference, a difference for other people. That's the way we need to live Jesus, not in people's faces, not overbearing, because what it comes down to is their right to choose. But we need to live our lives in such a way that people see Jesus, people see his love, people see his grace. Quite honestly, as we've talked about several times throughout this last year and a half or so, out there, they're not really seeing a whole lot of Jesus from us. 
they're seeing a whole lot of <clears throat> something. They're seeing a whole lot of ugly. They're seeing a whole lot of judgment. They're seeing a whole. They're hearing a whole lot of politics. But are they really seeing Jesus? That's our responsibility. Now, when we talk about serving Jesus with our lives in a church, many of us talk about a call on our lives, right? Many people, you've heard people talk about a call on their lives. And what we're trying to communicate is that we believe the Holy Spirit of God has spoken to our hearts and our spirits of a plan and a purpose for us. It may have to do with the talents that we have. It may be because of a passion that we have or maybe because of a brokenhearted burden that we have. Whatever the case, that's what we mean when we say we have a call. That's what happens with most foreign missionaries when we had uh, the Alsips here, when we had uh, our other missionaries, the Macabs here and others that we've had in here. They talk about a burden on their hearts, a breaking of their hearts for something special, something important. And that's what drives foreign missionaries to the field. They feel a special call in their spirit to give up the life that they're living, even a life that God is using and blessing for a life that takes them away from family, away from friends and home and leads them to a land very different from the one they started life in. It involves raising support and many times learning a new language and a new culture, <clears throat> all for the purpose of taking the gospel to, of Jesus to people who have never heard it. I believe these people are heroes. I believe they do something that we can't do ourselves. I believe that they go in our place <clears throat> as we support them so they can live on a foreign field to tell people who have never heard. <clears throat> Excuse me. They, uh, they're devoted deeply to the cause of Christ. And that is the outer edge of a missions program, including missions at home. In fact, many times local churches spend many times over more on foreign missions to reach the world than they do to reach their own community. The majority of a church budget is spent on bills, services, and salaries. <clears throat> there isn't a huge percentage that is spent on what I would call local missions. Many times that leads to a disconnect between the local church and the mission field right outside their door. See, that's what this series is, is about. You want to break it down to brass tacks. I believe in foreign missions. I believe it's important that we go beyond ourselves and try to help people that are over in different countries doing great work. But if we're only concerned about getting, reaching people that are unreached out there in other places that we can't go to, rather than reaching them here, and if all the money that comes into our church is spent on just surviving as a church, then we're missing the point of the call of God then we're missing the point of the purpose of a church. We're not just a money-collecting organization. In fact, that's way, here at New Life, that's way down the list of things that are important. We're not just a place to come together on Sundays and get our feel-good relationship with Jesus shot in the arm. The church is a place where we, as followers of Christ, are supposed to sharpen ourselves and each other so that we will then go out into a world that needs Jesus. Right outside these doors is a mission field of people waiting to hear, of people needing to hear. 
Why is it true? And I, listen, I'm not, I'm not bashing churches and missions programs. That's not what I'm here for, okay? That's not what this is about. That's not what this whole series is about. But what I'm trying to get us to understand is that the same focus we place on foreign missions should be the kind of focus we place on local service and missions and ministry. Why is it true that we have this kind of disconnect? Because we focus on, because we focus missions on the foreign field and we consider the work of the local church as simply ministry. What if we changed that paradigm? What if we shifted the focus? What if we began to focus on <clears throat> reaching our community, our own mission field? And what if we truly made that our priority? What if we approach reaching our community in the same way and with the same creative approaches that foreign missionaries approach their fields with? Sit down and chat with some of these missionaries that go to different countries and talk with them about how they reach their communities, what they do to reach their communities, what creative ways they come up with to reach their communities. And it's very different many times from what is done in a local church in America. What would we see and do differently? Quite honestly, that is exactly what I'm proposing that we do here. That we take a different look at the way we do ministry. Last week I talked about um, <clears throat> our bridge events. Quite honestly, as I've, as I've thought about the bridge events that we've had, the Easter egg hunt, the car show that we do, and, and uh, uh, trunk or treat, they're great. I mean, we turn out hundreds and thousands of people. And we call them bridge events because they're supposed to be, build a bridge between us and the community. Quite honestly, what they've done, what we've built, is pretty much a bridge to nowhere. Seriously. We haven't completed the bridge between us and the community. We could put on a good show, we can have a good time, and we can exhaust ourselves in putting something on. But what is the end result? What is it that we're looking for? Are we simply looking to have a good time and give kids a sugar high and, and have fun? And, and, and that's all great, man. I'm not saying that we, it, it's, it's wasted time and effort. But what does it produce in the end? Does it really have the impact for the kingdom of God that we're wanting it to? I don't propose that we get rid of those things. I propose that we look at them in a different way. I propose that we reimagine what we do. What can we do to change the focus and the emphasis of these programs that we have so that they will be a bridge to somewhere? So that they will actually accomplish what it is we're wanting them to accomplish. What if we see New Life Church, a local, our local ministry here, as a mission field. The goal of a missions program is enormous. It's to evangelize the world while focusing on your local community and your local church. Because of the vastness and the scope of the mission, there needs to be a plan in place to deal with the complex issues in the changing landscape and world of the world and of our community. 
<clears throat> this, uh, I don't know, if, as, as we've emerged from this time of, I guess we're not really emerged yet, right? We're getting there. But as we've started to come out of this COVID time, the world does look a lot different than it did just two years ago. And it looks a whole lot different than it did 10 years ago and 20 years ago. Have we changed our approach as individuals? Have we changed the way we see people? The way we see our community, the way we see the mission that we've been called to as times and people have changed? Have we changed our efforts? Have we changed our focus and our outreach? Have we adapted, not, a, not become part of the culture, but have we adapted to the changes in the culture in such a way that we can be relevant? That I know a lot of people talk about, you know, Jesus is always relevant. It, it truly is. The message of God is always relevant. The message of Jesus Christ is always relevant. But the way we present it may not be. It may not be relevant. It may, we may not be doing things in a way that connects with people. So what can we do to change our paradigm? The days of hanging a sign out on the street, ours, our sign, man, is lit up with solar panels. I mean, we're, we're cutting edge now, right? We're, we're green. We're green. Come on, man. If that's the length to which we're going to go to reach people, we're missing the point. We're absolutely missing the point. The days of hanging a sign up or, or putting an ad in the paper advertising our services are long gone. And what we've supposed to be supposed to have been doing all along has now come to the forefront. Living Jesus, lifting him up to a world that needs him more than they can imagine. Today, we're going to be looking at missions in the big picture, what understanding there should be in developing an effective missions program within a local church. What determinations must we make as a church about how our missions program will be implemented in order for it to be the most effective it can be? We're not going to get down into dirty little details, but we're going to have kind of a, a macro picture of what goes into having an effective local missions program. First, I want to share with you some statistics about the need and the human cost of worldwide missions. And worldwide missions is not just around the world and across the sea. It's here at home. Every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed for their faith. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned and five are abducted. 309 million Christians are living in places with very high or extreme levels of persecution, up from 200, uh, 260 million in 2020. Another 31 million could be added from the 24 nations that just step, just fall outside of the top 50 persecuted nations. The 2020 uh, list added the country of Mexico. That's kind of odd out of the country of Mexico. Uh, most of the persecution of, of believers we see, sometimes actually it goes both ways. Uh, Christians' hands are not clean in this matter. I'll just say that. We can be really stupid sometimes. Even in America, America is not that far out of the top 50, not just because of 
not because of attacks on Christians, but because of attacks on other faiths. And let me just say this clearly. That's never the right thing to do. That is never the right thing to do. I don't care what people believe. It is never the, Jesus never would attack somebody's place of worship. Jesus would never attack somebody's person. Jesus would never say, we hate you because of what you believe. He just wouldn't do it. And if you think he would, you're talking about a whole different Jesus than the one the Bible talks about. So, man, we could talk about, and I think it's important because there are places where Christians are persecuted big time. But I think, not to, not to jump on the ugly American bandwagon, but I think it's important that we remember, uh, it's kind of like diplomatic immunity, right? We have people that come from other countries here, and they live in our country, and they're, they're safe because of diplomatic immunity. They're, uh, they're almost above the law. And in, in, in return, our people go to other countries, and they are left alone. Well, that's kind of the way we need to look at faith and the faith of other people. Listen, I believe that the Bible is God's word. I believe that the Bible teaches us about the only way to heaven. But I'm not going to go to war with people of different faiths just because they don't believe what I believe. I'm going to try to, because that's not what Jesus would do. Jesus would love them. All the people that think we need to, Christians need to take over America politically with our faith. Just remember this, when Jesus was alive, he didn't attack the Roman government. Jesus lived within the law and loved on people. And by doing that, he created a revolution that lasts until this day. My faith is not in politics. My faith is in Jesus Christ. And that's where it needs to be. Worldwide registered martyrdoms rose to 4,761 in 2021. So far, that's up 20%. About 70,000 people die every day in the unreached world without Jesus. I think that's heavy, man. About 70,000 people die a day, every day, in the unreached world. <clears throat> and I'm skipping through a lot of these. Of the 500, now, now let's bring it down closer to home. There are, over five, there are at least 500 different people groups in the United States. And remember, this, goes, this is beyond race. People groups are what we can break down as ethnicities or tribes. If you talk to, uh, how many Latino people do we have? People from the Latino world in here. Now, if you talk to, I, I was born in Puerto Rico. We've got people, Jimmy was, uh, he's Dominican. You're Dominican, right? Louis, put your hand down, man. <laughs> And people just think Lewis is Puerto Rican, but he's not, okay? I, I, th I always thought Lewis was, but he's like, you're like French Canadian or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So have a meat pie and just sit there, all right? Cliff is from Panama. Over here, we have a lot of Puerto Rican people. Um, what amazed me when I started really digging, because when we brought Gabriel and Michael into our home, we started really digging into the Puerto Rican culture and the Latino culture because we wanted them to be raised understanding their history and their background. And I come to find out that within the Latino culture, there's a whole lot of differences within Latino culture. It's not just, well, you're a Latino, you like this, right? They, I mean, even, even the way they make their rice and beans is very different, right? I mean, you, it's, just, it's just very, very different. Those are the people groups. 
okay, within Italians, there's Sicilian and there's other, you know, I, don't, I don't know if it's Northern or Southern Italian, I don't know, speak with an accent. Um, and even here in America, you know, you go down South, Southerners are a people group. Up here in New England, we're our own strange offbeat people group. That's what we're talking about when we talk about people groups, different, different tribes, if you will. <clears throat> of the 502 people groups living in the United States, more than 184 of them, listen to this, in the United States, this is the kind of statistic that drives what I'm talking about. Of the 502 people groups within the United States, 184 of them are considered unreached. In the United States. The United States is currently sending 127,000 missionaries, give or take, to the world while receiving 32,400. We have the distinction of being the number, the number one sending nation for missionaries and the number one receiving nation for missionaries. <clears throat> I dropped my uh, outline and it's out of order. And I missed an entire page. Isn't that great? Wow. Hang on just a second. Drew, would you grab my phone for me? You know what? Just put it up on the screen. How about that? Just go to the first slide for number. So what makes a missions program? I'll preach off the screen for point number one. How's that? <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. What makes a, a missions program vibrant and successful? What is it about a missions program that makes it a vibrant and successful missions program. Next slide. <laughs> a true missions program is a visionary program. A true missions program is a visionary program. It sees what can be. A true missions program sees potential. It sees what can happen if, if we do this, this can be the result. If we just incorporate this. If we just change our mentality, this can happen. A true missions program is visionary. A true missions program <clears throat> sees beyond what is just here. Next, next slide. Acts 16, 6 says they went through the region of Pergia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Go ahead. When they came to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mycenae, they went to Troas. Next. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and, and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. Next. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Man. I think, listen... I think what's, there's a couple things that are incredibly powerful in that passage of scripture. A couple things that are incredibly powerful in that story. First of all, Paul was the world's greatest missionary. He planted churches all over the place. He wrote over half the New Testament. Paul was a man trying to do the will of God. Man, Paul was a man connected to the will of God. Yet as you read that passage, you'll see that there were two separate times that Paul tried to do the ministry that he felt God was calling them to, yet the door was closed. We talked about opening closed doors a few weeks back, right? And how God said, the door is closed, you can't go forward. This, not, this isn't going to happen. 
So what did Paul do? Did he just give up? Did he just walk away? No. He kept his heart open to God. Because Paul was a visionary. Because Paul was looking for what nobody else saw. Because Paul was looking to do something that nobody else had ever done. Paul was trying to connect with the message of Jesus Christ and connect the message of Jesus Christ to people who have never heard. So Paul has a dream. In that dream, there's a vision of a man from Macedonia. And he says, please, please, please come and help us. Here in our area, you can't drive anywhere without seeing people pleading for help. I know, I know. The average response is, I don't give people money that are holding signs. Because all they're going to do is use them for drugs or alcohol. All right, that might be, that might be your thought. <sighs> when Jesus saw people in need, he took five biscuits and two fish and fed them. You see, it's not my job to judge people. It's not my job. It, 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 here, here we go, Christian. I hope I, don't, I don't, don't really care if I step on your toes or not, but I'll just say I hope I don't because that makes it sound much more palatable. It's not even my job to care whether they're telling the truth or not. My job is to reach out with the love of Jesus Christ when the Holy Spirit prompts my heart you know why? Because maybe, just maybe, that sign that they're holding up is true. And maybe, just maybe, they do have kids somewhere in a tent in the woods behind a store. Kids that are waiting for food. And maybe, just maybe, that mom isn't going to go buy drugs with that or alcohol with that. Maybe she's going to go buy her kids something to eat and go hungry herself just so she can provide. You see, I look at some people like that, people holding those signs, and I say, man, what, how much of my life must have fallen out from underneath me for me to get to the point where I would be willing to stand on a street corner or stand at the edge of a highway and hold a sign saying, could you please help me? You see, I'm very blessed with a support system. I'm very blessed with people who will step up for me and people who will do for me and people who will help me for crying out loud. I started having to, had to start using a cane about a month ago and I have four canes now, all right? Jeez, I'm blessed with people who will be willing to reach out and help me. But I also know here in America, because I know Americans and I know, I even know Christians to a degree, there's a whole lot of people that don't have what I have. And maybe, just maybe, I can be the link that connects them with the support system of Jesus Christ. See, I don't have to sit around and judge whether or not they're worthy of my compassion because they already are. Because Jesus says they are. Listen, I'm not telling you you have to give out all your money to people standing. What I'm saying is, how about if we just start seeing people in a different way? How about if we just start looking at our community in a different way? Did you know here in East Long Meadow, East Long Meadow is supposed to be one of the most affluent communities in Western Massachusetts. How many of you know that? East Long Meadow is supposed, it's hoity-toity, right? We're the little brother to Long Meadow, which is, by the way, we 
beat the stuffing out of them on Thanksgiving Day. Yes. 41 to 14. I'm sorry if you're from Longmeadow, but take that. It only happens once in a while, so savor the flavor, right? Usually it's at the end of a 13-year losing streak that we beat them. But here in East Longmeadow, you'd be amazed at the amount of people that are in need. People that, uh, who qualify for aid. People who are living right on the edge. And then if we go outside the town of East Longmeadow, and many of you live in Springfield, Springfield's a needy community, very needy community. See, we need to stop looking at this stuff politically. Stop, stop looking at it as if you're a Republican or a Democrat or whatever it is, independent, libertarian, you know, Lithuanian. I don't know what your political party is. Stop looking at it from the lens of politics and start looking at it from the lens of the Bible and, and look and see that there are people that Really, I can look at and say, except for the grace of God, that would be me. Except for God's love and mercy that brought me, that, that caught me when I was falling, and that brought me to himself, and that loved me to himself, and that connected me with a church, and, and has blessed my family and my extended family to where we love each other, we care about each other. Except I had that in my life, that could be me. Therefore, I need to be Jesus to those people because they need me. They need the love that Jesus gave to me. A true, mission success, a true missions, successful missions program is visionary. Go to the next slide there, will you? Please. Not sure where we're at. A true missions, now I can go back to my notes. The next thing I see about a true missions program is a true missions program is a functional program. A functional program. So we can put, you know, we, we live in a time where everybody wants to put a study group together to study and analyze the issue, study and analyze the problem. And after a certain amount of time, we'll come together and we will we'll go over the evidence and we'll process the evidence and then we'll come up with a, an action plan, right? Meanwhile, from here to there, there's a whole lot of people that got overlooked. A true missions program is a functional program. Dysfunction cannot build function. Sick cannot build healthy. Now you can facilitate you can point to and you can assist, but you cannot build if you are spiritually sick or dysfunctional. You can be a part, but you need to make sure that you're, and, and what, is make, what makes a functional Christian simply someone who is trying to follow Jesus. Doesn't mean you get it right all the time. Doesn't mean that you have all the answers because none of us do. It simply means that you are on the path following Jesus, doing what you've been called to do. You're growing, you're working, you're trying, you're striving. You're not simply someone who shows up on Sunday morning just to get your religious fix. You're someone who is truly doing what you've been called to do. I think the greatest model we can read of a functional missions program is found in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 42, says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to the, to all as any had, as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together. Look at that. Every day, man, every day, every day they devoted themselves to meeting in the temple and break bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I mean, that's function. Form follows function. Success, you, you plan for the success you have. Your functional program is designed to give you the success that you have. If you have a dysfunctional program, guess what? If you grow, you're going to grow with dysfunctional people. You're going to build with dysfunctional people. And all that's going to happen is you're going to have dysfunction. But if you build functionally, if you build on what needs to be built, if you plan for success, if you are visionary and you plan for success, then you will build successfully. And that's what I want to do here. That's what we want to do here. We want to reach people successfully for the kingdom of God, not to build up our own kingdom, not so that we can say that we're the largest anything of anything, but so that we can look out, man. Listen, I, when I worked in at the church in Missouri, we, at that church, I, man, I did I won't say I hated it, but I didn't like it at all. What we had to do on Sunday mornings, the pastoral staff, we all had to sit up on the platform while the pastor preached. And we had those bright lights beaming down on you. And of course that was, Zach was a teenager at that time. And him and his friends, the, I was the youth pastor. They were all, they'd all sit up in the balcony of that church, you know, 11, 1200 people there on Sunday morning. And I've got these knuckleheads up there trying to make me laugh. If they, if they could get away with it, they'd have spit spitballs at me. And uh, I just, you know. Mm. But our pastor told us, he, he did that for a reason. He said, while you're sitting up here on the platform, I want you to look out at the congregation. And if you can't count 10 people whose lives you're influencing for Jesus Christ, you're not doing your job. I thought, man, that's deep. That's deep. And I would say that to you, if, if here at New Life, you can look out and not see anybody who is being impacted by your life in any way, then perhaps you need to look at your functionality as a Christian. Perhaps we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we're doing wrong? Not what we're doing right. What is it that we're doing wrong that is not allowing us to impact our world for Jesus Christ? When it comes to a functional missions program, there needs to be a strategy. 1 Corinthians 14, 40 tells us, but everything is to be done decently and in order. Everything's to be done decently and in order. There needs to be a plan in place. There needs to be a strategy. That strategy needs to be healthy and it needs to be collective. Now I'm not talking about communism, everything bringing into the collective. Collective simply means that it goes beyond just a small group of people. That strategy needs to be healthy and it needs to involve anybody. Listen, not anybody who's gifted enough. Not anybody who is 
who can buy their way in. That strategy needs to include anybody who's willing to serve. We need to be, uh, I won't get into that yet. We need to be a, a, a ministry that is ready, willing, and able to accept any kind of help from people in our church with the goal of plugging them in, helping them grow, and helping them minister and making the difference that God has called them to make. That means we need to have a system and a structure. It's one of the hardest things to do, especially in a church with all volunteer workers and everybody has different schedules and it's tough to meet. It's become much easier nowadays because we can meet um, on, online and stuff. But it's difficult. And sometimes it lends itself to people going off and doing their own thing. Well, that's a bad, that's bad. Okay. That's bad for the functionality and the health of the church because it needs to be done in a healthy way. It needs to be done with structure and with a system. It means that, and this is a tough one for some people, it means that there are leaders and followers. And not all the time, you're not always going to be the leader. You're not always going to be the leader. Sometimes you will be a follower. Listen, I have to, uh, there are times when uh, our assistant pastor, who just happens to be my oldest son, um, is the leader. And I have to follow. I don't just come in and take over. I follow the leadership that's in place. If I've given someone a ministry to do, I'm going to let them lead that ministry. I'm not going to jump in and take over. And if I can do that, you need to at least work on being able to do that. Okay? There should be, that means there's a shared workload. We don't load it all on one person. We don't load it all on one family. It's a shared workload in a, in a, in a successful, healthy ministry. That means there's cooperation. When we peel that back, what are we trying to say? That means there's no personal agendas. There's no personal agendas. It's not about you. It's not about your way. Well, this is the way they used to do it in my old church. <sighs> okay. Thankful for that. Maybe we can learn something from it, but this isn't your old church. Okay. Uh, those of you who run businesses, you know, Drew is sitting right in front of me. I'm sure he's got cooks that have cooked food differently than he has. Drew's the owner. Drew's the chef. I think for Drew, if he wants to be successful, he probably looks at his cooks and says, you do it my way, or you can go cook at McDonald's. Right? <laughs> Means there's communication. We need to have open communication. Nowadays, it is so easy to communicate. You pick up your phone and you text. I've said this many times. Just because I don't answer you right away doesn't mean I didn't it just doesn't mean I'm ignoring you. We're all very busy, so give people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, for me, it's probably easier to communicate with me through text message, email. I, I still check email. <laughs> uh, messenger once, or messenger is probably the worst way, but I still check it every once in a while because people do send me me Facebook Messenger. But there's no, there's no reason why we can't communicate nowadays. We can connect. We need to communicate. If we're going to be successful in ministry, we're talking practicality. We're talking actually getting things done. We need to be able to communicate. 
well, you know, I just don't like that person. Well, get over yourself. All right? All right? And by the way, I don't expect everybody in our church to like everybody. I'm not everybody's cup of sunshine and not everybody's mine. But my calling is to facilitate everybody who wants to get involved to get involved. And if we're struggling in one area, you know what we can do? We can pivot and put people in different areas where they can be better equipped and and better involved and more successful. And I think most importantly, it means that there's humility. There's humility. It is not about you. It's not about me. Listen, if we're going to successfully build our church, if we're successfully going to see our community as a missions field, we are going to have to understand that it is not about us. It's not about the way we've always done it. It's not about the way we think it should be done. It's about sitting down and, buddy, and, and putting our heads together with each other and coming up with a plan and understanding. Listen, when, when we started this, what's going on over here, this interpretation ministry, it's going into two different languages, right? It's going to Spanish and then to sign language. There's no way I can come up with this. I had to go to Jamil and to Elvin and say, guys, well, how do we do this? Right? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about folks that want to be in church, that want to hear the gospel being presented with the gospel in a way that meets their need. Therefore, I need to talk to people who know what they're doing and allow them to do what they're doing. Doesn't mean that you can, man, listen, man, if you don't speak Spanish, you probably don't have any, any, any reason to tell people how to do a Spanish speaking ministry. You know what I'm saying? I just say, I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. If you don't do sign language, probably best that you not tell them how to best interpret because you don't know it. But we can lend aid and we can be there to help out as much as we possibly can. Because the time's going to come where our ministry needs help as well. Where what God has placed us in and what has opened up for us and the friends that we have and the ways we want to reach out to our community needs to be assisted and needs to have other people come alongside us and hold us up and lift us up. Not that our ministry is going to be in the spotlight, but that we want our ministry to be uh, successful just like their ministry is successful. Because if all our ministries are successful, guess what happens? Our church grows and people hear about Jesus Christ. And that's what is very important, that people at least have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And lastly, a true missions program is a fluid program. It's a fluid program. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning of verse 19 says, Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. My goodness, <laughs> if ever there was a verse in Scripture that should be applied to today's society, it's this one. Although I'm free from all and not anyone's slave, I, uh, I can, listen, I could do my own thing. You can't tell, you're not the boss of me. We're like a bunch of, right, right, right? We're like a bunch of seven-year-olds. You're not the boss of me. Can't tell me what to do. Paul says, you know what? That was true when I was here too. I'm free from all and not anyone's slave. 
but I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. What does that mean? What does that look like? Paul a doormat? Is Paul, uh, is Paul now uh, the, the, the uh, person that everybody takes advantage of? Not at all. Listen to what Paul was talking about. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. What Paul is saying there is I do whatever I need to do to reach people. I become what I need to become. Doesn't mean I'm a hypocrite. Doesn't mean I'm a fake. Doesn't mean I'm a phony. It means I am willing to befriend anyone. I am willing to see someone in their need. I am willing to see someone in their place, in their, in, in, in what life has dealt them. Go back to what I was talking about before. People standing on the corner. How would you feel if you were the one that was so desperate in life that you stood on the corner with a sign saying you were hungry? How would that make you feel? What part of your personal pride and character do you feel you'd have to swallow to get to that place? Well, maybe, just maybe, if we see people in their situation and in their circumstance, we'll then see how the love of Jesus Listen, I don't really, I'll just be very honest. I don't really care what has led people to where they're at. I think we can deal with that when the time comes. Okay. A lot of moving forward has to do with cutting ties and cutting the chains of the past. But that's not what people need right now. Some guy who's struggling, some woman who's struggling doesn't need your lecture on how to make life better. Doesn't need your lecture on, well, you should have stayed in high school. Well, perhaps if your father would have abused you and beaten you and slapped you around and told you you were worthless, you wouldn't have wanted to finish high school either. So how about that? Well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to say this one. You know what? Maybe you just simply need to learn the language here. And then then you can make your way in America. Okay. Not looking at a history lesson here, but a whole lot of us, in fact, everybody in this room, our ancestors came somewhere else and many of them didn't speak the language and they had help. So maybe, just maybe, rather than their judgment, they need our compassion. And maybe, just maybe, rather than our hate-spewed anger, they need our love, and not just our love, the love of Jesus, to try to understand where it is that they're at, and to try to understand what has brought them to the place they're at. How did they become broken? How did they lose hope? We can deal with all of those things 
after they come to realize that, man, I really do love your soul. I really do love you as a person. And life has been rough on you, but I know how it can get better. Listen, our lives as Christians are not going to be perfect. They're not always going to be easy. We're going to have ups and downs. And sometimes our downs go pretty deep into a valley, man. They go way down to places, sometimes places we've never been before. But did you know that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his love will follow you even to your lowest point? And he's always there to lift you up. If we are therefore the light of the world, shouldn't we be willing to do the same for those in need? You see, a true missions program is a fluid program. It must adapt and evolve. It must adapt to circumstances and situations. We live in a very different place than most of the rest of the country. What works in Texas doesn't work here in Massachusetts. We've got a brother, a family moving back out to Minnesota. Talk to them sometime about the differences. And, you know, coming out of hibernation, <laughs> the two months that you have of sunshine, how to minister. Talk to people from other places and what's different about them and, and, and what makes it different up here. And rather than make it, you know, we're very famous as New Englanders for making people prove themselves, right? You, you, we're like the mafia. It takes forever to get in, but once you're in, you're in. But you have to almost be a made person to, to get in. But maybe, just maybe, we let down that New England guard and say, hey, man, how you doing here in this strange strange land that's totally different from where you grew up. How you feeling living in this place? Because there are people that are moving in here. How are you feeling coming out of COVID? How are you feeling now that it's been two years where you've been cooped up with your children? We went through a time with Gabriel and Michael that where they couldn't stand each other <laughs> for about three weeks. And we had to keep them separate because uh, they were constantly bickering with each other. They get back to school and realize that their best friends are the guy that they have been with their entire life. So they're pretty much back to just bickering twins now. My point is this, rather than, rather than having the attitude that they need to meet our standard and they need to come up to our level, Maybe just maybe we need to be willing to walk those roads we've never walked before. To adapt ourselves to being willing to reach to people who need to be reached. Those who participate in a fluid missions program must be willing to change their views, their attitudes, and even their ministry paradigm. The last seven words of a dying church are, we've never done it that way before. We should never be talking about that. What is required in missions may be different than what is required in normal church ministries. What's required in missions, you know, we have to run things a certain way. We have to run our finances a certain way. We, have, we run our Sunday morning service a certain way. 
But when we get outside of here and go out and reach people, maybe just maybe we need to do it differently than we have, it in the pa- have done in the past because people are different than they have been in the past. In short, we must be willing to change both ourselves and our involvement in order to ne- meet the needs of the mission. Listen, we've got to be willing and ready and capable and able to see things differently to approach things differently, to get involved with things that are different than what we've ever been involved in before, to see ourselves and our lives in a different way, and to see ministry as a church differently than it's ever been seen before for us. We've got to be willing to break down the walls that we've built up between us and other people. This is new life. This is where I'm just going to, I'm just going to lay it out. This is where I'm leading this church. Hopefully people will follow to get, to get wild and crazy in your in your vision of how to reach people. We're going to be putting together a team here in a, in a month or so. If you want to be part of it, you're welcome to be part of it. It's going to be a team that sits around and chats and talks about ministry opportunities and vision. Not crazy crystals or anything like that. It just talks about what's going on in our community and how we can use that to make a difference and to reach people. No idea is too crazy. No, no detail is too small. I want to see this church be vibrant and continue to grow. Much like, I mean... What we're seeing over here is a very different ministry for, than the typical white suburban evangelical church. That doesn't usually happen. Think that. That's what we're looking for. We're going to pick this up again next week talking about local missions and how we can make an impact and what are, what are the needs here. But let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being in your house today, for the privilege of being able to be together. Thank you for those who were able to be here today, Lord. I know we've got a lot of people who are away because of the holiday, and we have people who are uh, are ill right now. God, I pray for your protection for our our people. I pray that we'll be intelligent. I pray that we'll be smart. I pray that we'll do smart things, Lord, um, to keep ourselves healthy. But I also pray that we'll have your supernatural protection. God, that... um, You'll give us, uh, give us wisdom to make good choices. Father, I pray for our church as we, uh, Lord, as we attempt to navigate these new waters, these new uh, ideas. I pray, Father, that we will be open, all of us, open to what you have for us to do and how we can reach people. Lord, give us creative ideas, concepts and understandings of getting beyond ourselves and our own limitations to follow you. Lord, I pray that you'll bless us as we go. Keep us safe on the roads. Keep us safe this week. Open up doors for us. Show us those open doors. God, may we live your word to everybody we see. In your name we pray. Amen.